before an amazing, awesome, and mighty God. We surrender our lives to you, God, collectively as men. And we ask that you would have your way in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And do want to pray for the, the conference that's coming up next weekend, God, that you would move in a powerful way there. Uh, it's, um, it's hard and inspiring to hear stories like that. And so we just ask that your spirit would move in that place. And God, this morning as we hear from Dave about... Ecclesiastes chapter 8, God, would you uh, open our hearts and open our minds and open our eyes to what your spirit would have us to hear this morning. And may every single one of us be changed as we walk out of here and inspired to love our neighbor, to love our co-workers, to love our family, to love our children well. We love you, Jesus, and we surrender it in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. Can you guys hear me okay in the back? Awesome. I'm very thankful for the new microphone. Thank you, David Hill. That's awesome. First, I want to say good morning, and thanks for showing up. God, uh, Josh warned us last week that I was going to be teaching, and yet here you all are. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to have a prayer of my own to open up with. Heavenly Father, may my words be pleasing unto you. May anything that I say that is not in line with your gospel and your will, may those words not take root in the minds of the listeners today. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you. So last week, Josh Taylor talked to us about a choice. God's way, which is truth, and it leads to abundant life. And all other ways, which are idols and lies and lead to death. We're going to talk similarly about that this week. I have only four verses to talk about this week, which is great. Three and a half of these verses talk about wickedness and evil deeds. The, the remaining half is about righteous deeds. So this to me screams warnings. There's lots of pitfalls to be avoided. And from these four verses, I've gleaned three warnings. So we're going to talk about those. And then we're going to follow up with talking about having a proper kingdom perspective. Okay? So let's dive in. I'm starting chapter 8, verses 10 through 13. I'm going to be reading from the amplified version. I like that version because it... It blended a lot of the translations and put the footnotes already in there, so I don't have to go back and explain it. Let's start with verse 10. So then, I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out of the holy place, but did not thereby escape their doom. And they are praised in spite of their evil and soon forgotten in the city where they did such things. This too is futility, vanity, emptiness. Warning number one. Don't expect this life to be fair. People get away with stuff all the time. Solomon has seen wicked people who have committed sinful acts that were well known in the city. These people went unpunished, no one called them out, and they walked boldly, almost flaunting their sinful acts in the temple. And though they may think they've gotten away with something, they pulled one over. The reality is, just like the rest of us, in the end, they all die. So th this is meaningless. And we come back to our favorite word, hebel. Verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil act is not executed quickly, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set to do evil. Let me put my cheaters on here. Warning number two. Don't mistake God's silence for his approval. 
because we don't see immediate punishment for evil deeds, there's a sense that God is either asleep at the wheel or he's okay with letting these things slip by unpunished. This prompts future generations to try their hand at evil. After all, if the cat's away, the mice can play, right? Just because God isn't applying judgment according to our standards and according to our timetable doesn't mean that judgment's not coming. We can't mistake that. I'm going to couple verses 12 and 13 together. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his life seemingly is prolonged in spite of his wickedness, still I know that it will be well with those who reverently fear God, who fear and worship him openly, realizing his omnipresence and his power. But it will not be well for the evil man, nor will he lengthen his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. Warning number three, don't mistake this life for the end game. I love the imagery of the shadow. It took me a little while to get get it, but I'll use a football analogy that really helped me. Think of an all-pro running back. First game of the season, he tears his ACL. He's out for the season. He's got to get ACL reconstruction. He's got to have all this surgery. He's got to do all this rehab. He comes back the next year, and he's not the same. He's a little hesitant. He's not bold when he needs to be. He's not hitting the holes when he needs to. And that prompts your ESPN reporter to say, ah, this running back, he's just a shadow of his former self. Similarly, we, the human race, we're shadows of our intended selves. Our bodies are shadows of the heavenly bodies we were intended to have prior to the fall in the Garden of Eden. We never got a chance to have a former self. So I think what Solomon is saying is while you may lie, cheat, or steal to extend your existence on this planet, you're only extending the shadow of yourself. And it has no eternal worth whatsoever. But the righteous, however, they realize that life on this planet is not the end game. It is only the beginning as they are expectantly awaiting the new heaven and the new earth. This last warning really hits home for me because it speaks to the importance of having the proper kingdom perspective. You know, anybody can have a kingdom perspective, but it depends on which kingdom you're working for, right? Ours or God's. And unfortunately, 13 years ago, I chose my kingdom. I had developed a bad case of entitlement and felt that God owed me. After all, I was a lifelong Christian. I was a grandson of a pastor. And if you're familiar with the prodigal son, I was the elder brother, literally and figuratively. That was me. And so I was angry at God for not providing for my wants and desires. And if you remember 13 years ago, it didn't help that everybody and their brother was making a killing in real estate. Case in point, our good friends we sold our house to, our first house to, a year later, they doubled their money. And I'd be lying to you if I said that didn't irk me just a little bit. So with that in mind, and, and I was upset. And the fact is, our family, my wife and our two little kids at the time, we were not living within our means. Okay, But I was too blind to see it then. God owed me. So... I decided to take matters into my own hands. My new house had doubled in value, so I took a cash-out refi on the house. 
okay? And then I determined that I was going to be a real estate mogul because that's where the money was being made, right? So I took that cash and bought two rental properties. And I had two things I was putting my trust in. If you remember back then, stocks were going crazy too. I had a stock brokerage account that was like a money tree. I would take money out to supplement our lifestyle, and then the next month, it's back up. It was amazing. I kept doing this, and it just kept going up. So I put my trust in the stock account, and then I had... 20% equity in all my properties save one. So property values were going up, so that was a no-brainer too. Everything was going great until that thing called the Great Recession hit. October 2008 was one of the worst months of my life. That was the beginning of the end of my kingdom. Stocks tanked. All this equity I had evaporated. In fact, it went negative on me. These things that I had clung to, that I had put my trust in, they let me down. They failed me. And now I'm hemorrhaging cash like it's out of style. And once you've exhausted your self-sufficiency, that's when it dawns on you, hey, maybe this kingdom thing is not such a good idea after all. So then I got down on my hands and knees and I repented. I asked God to forgive me. I asked him to restore my family and get me out of the mess that I created. I had no right to presume that he was going to do anything. I didn't know what the new normal was going to be, but I put my trust in him and not my stuff. Over the next 10 years... God, in his grace, unwound that mess that I had made. We were able to get out from under two of the rental properties, one through foreclosure and one through short sale. And then we were able to keep our house through a uh, harp refi. Even so, my actions still have consequences. My wife and I, we lost a ton of money. And we're still paying off that cash loan we took out a long time ago. So how could this have happened to me? A lifelong Christian... Jesus has the answer. It's in the parable of the sower, in particular the part about the seed that's sown in the thorns. I'm in Mark 4, 18 through 19. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and prove it unfruitful. The deceitfulness of riches. It's an easy trap to fall into today. I exchanged God's truth for the lie that money was going to solve all my problems. Remember what Josh had said last week. All other ways are idols and lies. Money was my idol, and I was holding that over God. So what are my lessons learned from all this, this kingdom pursuit? One, I need to check my true motivations for anything I do. Buying real estate, buying stocks, buying Bitcoin, in and of itself is not a bad thing. But if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, it can be. Anything can be an idol. Number two... I was a loner Christian. I was walking alone in my faith. I did not have an Ironman with me. 
I was easy target. First Peter 5, 8 warns us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I was just another wildebeest, separated from the herd. And if we had had an Ironman, that certainly would have helped back then. But today, we have no excuse. And thank God we have Ironmen today. Thank God we have men walking beside us in faith, in support, in encouragement. Lord willing, we'll prevent other people from making my kingdom mistake. Wouldn't that be awesome? Amen. So in closing, gentlemen, we've been warned. We need the proper kingdom perspective. Which kingdom are you working for? Yours, which is merely a kingdom of shadows, it's short term, or God's, which is a true restoration of ourselves and an invitation to join him in eternity. Guys, this is a no-brainer, yet we have to make this choice every single day. And the good news is we're starting a new day. So which kingdom are you going to choose? Thank you.